Welcome to the Inquisitive Tourist. My name is Nate Ralph and thank you for joining me once again. For those of you already listening, a warm welcome back. And if this is your first episode, welcome to the ever-growing community of listeners worldwide. We're now in over 80 countries. And uh, hot off the heels of last week's uh, episode, it has been a bit of a, a hiatus. So thanks for joining us once again. If I could ask you as well to leave us a review on the podcast platform you use, I'd really appreciate it as that's how the show appears to other people in their feed. And if you enjoyed today's episode, if you could just share it with one friend, that would greatly be appreciated. Now, on the subject of travelling. It could be said that travelling does for your personal development what the gym does for your body. My guest today is an adventure coach who believes that great leaders are formed in the wild. He has worked for 30 years with men and women from all backgrounds, helping them leave mediocrity behind. What do we mean by the wild? We mean the rugged wilderness of Alaska, the breathtaking plains of the Serengeti, or the stunning Gobi Desert. Well, let's meet him. His name is Mike Green. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm grateful to be here. Thank you for coming on. Now, you're speaking to us from where today, Mike? Um, this great state of Alaska, and I am about 30 miles south of the Denali Park entrance. That's uh, extremely in the Alaska range. Sp- specific. <laughs> well, what entrance is that then? What, what does that mean? Well, Denali Park only has one road that goes into it because it's so remote, and um, that's pretty much where... If any of your listeners have been to Alaska, they know exactly what I'm saying, that there's just one road into it. So we're right in the center of Alaska, in the middle of the Alaskan mountain range. Sounds absolutely fascinating. How long have you been based there then? Um, This is my 25th year of being in love with Alaska. And I finally now have moved my family here full time after having lived in Saudi Arabia for approximately two and a half years. Absolutely incredible. So you said your family, are you married with children or? Yep. Two boys at ages six and nine. Um, his name is Atlas is the youngest and Tennyson is the oldest. Fantastic. And how, how do they like uh, Alaska? Is it quite a, you know, obviously young ones there for them to hang out with, or is it, is the community quite small in the, in, in the place that you are, or there's, there's quite a lot in terms of population? No, it's a very small population. There's only three other f- families year round here. Wow, three families. Yeah, three or three households, I should say. Yeah. Wow. One family, and then yeah, it's we're pretty remote. We love the winter here. I love the winter more than the summer, um, or at least at this juncture. <laughs> wow, that's I've got so many other questions. I mean, in terms of just basic, you know, groceries, and you know, what if one of you needs the doctor or some kind of. What what happens in these situations? You have to drive to a local town or something, or right? Well, up until two years ago, we would have to drive two and a half hours to the north to Fairbanks for groceries, doctors, etc. Um, and um, now there's a uh, a grocery store only forty miles to the north, which is makes it a lot easier. My boys go to school. If we're not homeschooling, they go to school 40 miles to the north in a small town called Healy. And um, interesting, you say, doctor, my son broke his leg, broke his tibia at the playground. And my wife had to drive him two and a half hours screaming all the way to Fairbanks. Um, <laughs> wow. So we've been through that. <laughs> That's, that is quite something. I had, I had absolutely no idea how remote it was or, or, or even that you'd been based there for that long. So I'm already, uh, we're mm-hmm. a few minutes in and I'm already kind of speechless. That's uh I mean, so on a day-to-day basis, you're not, uh, obviously, apart from your work, which we're going to get onto, you're not sort of coming into contact with too many people then? Correct. Um, yeah, for the most part, more so in the winter, that is a truer statement. Um, it's a small, small community area here. You know, the closest friends for my boys are, you know, six and a half, seven miles to the north. Um, you know, so we keep to ourselves for the most part. Um, yeah. Really interesting stuff. That's uh, that's the first uh, first uh, interview that I've had with someone that's uh, probably yeah. You've got to win the uh, the title so far for the most remote guest. I'm sure about that, but uh, <laughs> well, that's, right. that's that's pretty amazing. So I mean, yeah, let's let's dive straight in, Mike. I mean, give us a little bit about your background. Have have you always been um, a coach? Yeah, uh, 
So I basically, I believe, yes, I have um, from the dime when I was a kid, you know, 12 years old or so. I remember asking good questions of my friends and kind of stupefying them. And then also asking questions of their parents that would, you know, about their development. I was always, I've always been in human development, um, but I didn't know it at the time. And then when I did my first outward bound course as a senior in high school, dog sledding, cross country skiing in the north, the boundary waters of Minnesota, I learned that I was in, I was a coach um, or someone who asked good questions to help people's development. And then ultimately, I was really good at that, and I decided I wanted to get some structure to it or get a title behind it, if mm. you will. Mm. Um, so I started my own business about 13, 14 years ago and became um, an ICF certified coach. And now I am one of about 1,400 people in the, on the planet that have a master level of coaching, according to the International Coach Federation. And uh, and I have over eleven thousand documented hours. It's probably closer to twelve thousand now, but um, yeah. So basically, fourteen years ago, I really started to, as we say around here, hang your shingle, saying you're a coach, right? <laughs> you start your business, and uh, yeah. So that's what I've done, and um, that's when I officially. How about that? I officially became a coach then, but I've always been in human performance. Amazing. Supporting people's development. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's really quite interesting. So one of fourteen hundred people in in the globe, and that's so that's the ICE. Did you say ICF accreditation? That's correct. Yep, mm-hmm. which is considered the gold standard for coaches. Now, there's a lot of different types of coaches out there, and I respect all of them. Um, and to work in big corporations or work, uh, I, I believe that most of the companies want somebody who's accredited, right? As opposed to somebody saying, "Well, you know." Uh, I've done this for a long time. I have a lot of value, but there's a lot of, I always, for me, wanted to have accreditation behind my experience, yes. which, yeah, right. Because one of the things I love about your podcast is, and I was just having this conversation with some Norwegians up in Fairbanks. Um, you know, when we travel, at least when I was young, I would travel, I was actually in Russia and I worked in Russia when I was 21, et cetera. And, mm. uh, Try to start traveling in the you know with the Balkans right now what we would call the Balkans right mm. Eastern Europe and I would just remember people go and I come home people would say so when are you going to stop and settle down because uh, you're just traveling around and I didn't know it at the time but I just had the aha moment um, speaking to these Norwegians just about two weeks ago I was like all the travels that we have much like you say in your um, your intro develop us. Mm in such a profound way that you can't get it in a book. You can't get it in a university classroom, Mm. being self-sufficient, being empathetic, being able to connect with somebody of a totally different um, culture, religion, background, language, et cetera. Mm. And I believe that travelers or tourists and travelers um, or tourists that become travelers have that unique ability to create rapport human to human. And I think that that's the value of traveling. And then those, those experiences over and over again, develop us into being great communicators, great family members, great um, husbands, wives, mm. workers, etc. Mm. I, I love the way you, you brought that out. And I agree wholeheartedly with it. You know, that sentiment that through traveling it, it re- there's no education like it really um it, i don't know if they've ever done something like that but if you took a kid and just schooled them in in the systematic way and you took another child and just you know the the child goes off with the parents and traveled for 10 years going in all these different mm-hmm. countries and meeting different people and cultures and being exposed to different mm-hmm. languages i i would hazard a guess that that kid would be a lot better adjusted than the one in a stereotypical education system i mean of course they've got to do their basic math science you know english and Mm -hmm. so on um but you know to take a a child uh, or anyone even in in adulthood and and show them the world as it were if they do it in the right way Mm -hmm. which uh, we're going to obviously come on to it can really you know do wonders for their for their personality can't it yeah that's why we moved to saudi arabia and i worked as an executive coach there for saudi aramco and uh, their airport was, you know, one 
a direct flight to Nepal or a direct flight to Norway or a direct flight for Sri Lanka or over to Egypt. So that's part of the reason we went. We we wanted more adventure in our lives. And what's amazing as a father, as a, I mean, before I got married, I was, I was 39 when I got married and I was already up to about 56 or maybe 59 countries. Amazing. Uh, I, I didn't realize it, but kids are kids no matter where you take them. They yeah. can play with anybody, no yeah. matter the language. And and I literally just coached somebody to to about a, nah, about a week ago, give or take. Um, a, they called me. My clients can call me anytime I'm, I'm available. Um, and I answered the phone and she says, Mike, I'm really, really doubting moving from Colorado down to Nicaragua with my son and my husband. I'm going to teach at a really, really cool school. And I introduced her to that school and I introduced her brother-in-law to that school. Um, it's, it's a Nicaraguan school called um, San Juan del Sur Day School. And it's a fabulous place. Anyway, I introduced her. She interviewed. She got the job as a teacher. She's wondering, I'm just worried that this is going to be a terrible mistake for my son's development. And I said, kids are kids no matter where they go. And they will be fine. And he will be better for it. Even if you stay a week or a year, he will be better for it. Mm. Because... As I said earlier, it teaches us to be more empathetic and to listen, right, intently to observe because, you know, language, you know, communication is more body language and tone than tone, than tone of voice than the words we use. Right. Mm. So it's a fabulous way in which to develop your kids into um, emotionally intelligent, as they say in the word now, emotionally intelligent kids. Absolutely. and, but I didn't know this when I was traveling, right? Because I was just traveling. I was mm. like, okay, let's see. Well, I only have so much money, <laughs> right? And how am I how am I going to get from, you know, Sofia to Greece? Yeah, you know? Sofia in Bulgaria, right? Yeah, Bulgaria. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> like, well, let's see. I got a lot of cigars, and I bribed my way from St. Petersburg to Warsaw on a train. So maybe that'll work. <laughs> amazing but it, it, it's all those stories it just it's so good to look back on isn't it and it, it's uh it's obviously done yeah. great things for you as well and on that point you know obviously we've spoken about um how uh th- this type of travel can develop uh for example a child in in amazing ways but this is the the interesting point in terms of leadership skills specifically because obviously mm-hmm. this is where your work comes uh more into it i mean how speak us through the process if you could mike of how you decided that specifically great leadership skills could be achieved through challenging travel? Great question. Um, well, I wrote a book about it called Wander Must, A Hero's Journey to Seven Truths. And uh, a hero's journey referring to Joseph Campbell's work, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it's a leadership memoir, and it goes to, and it discusses how I went to each continent. So I've worked on all continents, right? So, and then when I was there, I discovered a leadership truth, right? And then I talk about in the book how I got there, what's the leadership truth that I discovered, and now how do I apply it to my coaching? And I have a client by the name of Ian, who is the main character of the book, and I'm coaching him. And as I'm coaching him through his stuff, I'm going back into time to Antarctica, for example, to to how I discovered emotional intelligence, or I'm talking about my time in Asia with the Kazakh golden eagle hunters of Western Mongolia and how I discovered intention as leadership truth. Now more to your, that was kind of a preamble to answer your question. Mm. So when we, when we as individuals go through an experience of learning, um, there is some type of anchor to that development. Now, when we go to a different far-flung place, name it, you know, whether it be Rome or whether it be the tobacco fields of Nicaragua or the castles of Scotland, mm. um, and we have those moments of aha, or we are stripped away of all of the distractions of our lives because we're constantly distracted, whether it be from our phones or whether it be from everything. There's a constant noise. But when we go to these far-flung places, we are stripped of a lot of that. And we begin to understand what our truths are, our congruent truths. Mm. 
And those experiences, whether it be, you know, hiking to the top of a high mountain or a beautiful desert or through a desert or whether you're kayaking in the Prince William Sound, for example, or even down there doing the um, Trek to Condor in Ecuador, those experiences we are completely aware of and those experiences, whether it be the, the smell of the of the moss um, or the feel of the mud of us hiking somewhere is an anchor to that aha moment. Mm. And that is far more powerful than reading a book and learning a concept or it was my opinion. Yeah. So what, what does that mean? So basically people hire me much like an outward bounds course, right? Outward bounds global, right? It's a experiential education um, program. And that's basically what I'm doing is taking people out away from the distractions to a location of their choice. Cause I've guided on all seven continents and uh, help them to uh, support their development um, through getting away from all the distractions. Wow. That so, is, yeah, that's quite mm-hmm. out of interest. It, is this, I mean, if you, if you can comment on it, but is this mm-hmm. one of your reasons that you essentially uh, settled your family and your two boys in Alaska, you know, because obviously you, you, you spoke there about, you know, being away from distractions and how it can really sort of strip you down to your core and then you can learn. And it, it, do you feel right. that maybe, you know, in that sense, it's going to help your boys obviously develop in, in ways that they might not in, in a typical Western world setting? Right. Great question. Well, we lived in prior to going to Saudi Arabia, we lived in Boulder, Colorado, and I was very successful as a, a coach and hired by major companies, cybersecurity, oil and gas. And I was always gone. Mm. And um, there's so much noise of just the day-to-day operations of living in Boulder. Now, it's a beautiful place. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not saying people who live in cities are um, worse off than I am. I'm just stating for our family, it was too busy. It was not us to try to stick to, as we say in America, keep up with the Smiths, right? Keep up with the mm-hmm. neighbors. Yeah, or, yeah. And we lived at the Boulder Country Club. You know, I had a huge house on the ninth tee, um, but it just wasn't us. And mm-hmm. then the school systems were very expensive for high quality education, quote unquote, high quality education. And then um, that wasn't uh, meeting our needs. And I wanted my boys and my wife to too. To be to be raised where they're self reliant and they're able to um, make decisions for themselves without the pressures of a school curriculum that is not necessarily in line with our values. Mm. Um, and now in America, there's a lot going on with uh, education. Um, some people think it's too far left. Some people think it's not far and left enough, etc. Mm. But either here or there. So we came to Alaska because we wanted to raise our boys in an environment where there'll be men when they're done and they'll have great skills of self-reliance. For example, my sons both can start a fire with flint and steel. Uh, they can, you know, my oldest wants to get his own chainsaw, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, which he's not going to get for a while. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> my, my, son's, my son's first paying job is um, shooting squirrels, for five dollars a squirrel down at the local lodge because squirrels, <laughs> you know, get into buildings and create create havoc. Yeah, so, of course. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Well, and also, um, we, you know, we really wanted just to spend time with them and, and teach them and be around them far more. Because if I lived in Boulder, I would be gone, you know, 19, 20 days a year mm. or a month, excuse me, you mm. know, be gone. Mm. Yeah, which is uh, uh, just, you can't get that time back. You know, once they get to mm-hmm. their late teens and their 20s, that's gone now. And then those formative years have, have gone. But getting getting with, uh, back to your book that you mentioned, love the name, by the way, Wonder mm-hmm. Must. It's a great play, uh, play on words there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Thank with you. the wonderment and, and obviously wonder, wonderlust, it's incredible. But tell us, tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about that book, Mike. I mean, you know, you already mentioned, and quite rightly so, that um, – there's a big difference between, you know, you can't get certain things just from reading a book. You've got to go and do it. And that's one of the amazing things about travel. So mm-hmm. where does your book come into this? Because obviously what, what can someone, you know, expect from it? Like the everyday reader, if they get this book um, and they put the, the things that you say into practice, 
How, how, how would they do that? Obviously, I mean, do they have to travel somewhere? Can they learn a certain amount just by reading? Right, great question. Well, the book um, has been described by many. I like to describe it as a book that you'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll self-reflect, right? And um, recently, some people say, you know, it's like a kick in the stomach because it really makes you think about how am I living? Mm. And to discover your truth. Now I say truth. Um, some people might say values, but my truth is congruence, right? So our actions, our language, and our way of leading or traveling or being is congruent where what I mean by that is that the decisions I make are coming from a place of service. Cause that's one of my, yeah, I'm basically a servant leader. Mm. Um, and the book came about because um, I learned so much from traveling that I wanted my boys to understand why their dad is the way their dad is. Right. <laughs> and I honestly wrote it for them, my mother and my wife and everybody else is extra. So what can, how can they apply it? Great. Well, the book is, I've been told is a fast, fun read and you read it and you say, okay, what are, what are some of the leadership lessons or the, mm. or what are some of the truths that if I were to be given an award or if you were to be spoken of in front of other people, what would they say about you, right? For mm-hmm. example, if someone was – so I'm going to ask you that question. So if if you were to be given an award and they were going to talk about something that is definitely a, your truth, what would be one of the things that you would hope – they would say about you. So, so if I was to get an award specifically for for something I've done in my life, you mean in, in education, yeah. or could it be for in a work setting, or how you are as an individual? So, for sake conversation, if I came to your house mm-hmm. for dinner, mm-hmm. right, or you and I were out at the pub and having a couple pints, mm-hmm. and my wife asked me, "So, what do you think of that, Nate?" I said, "Well, you know, Nate is a really inquisitive guy." You know, he really listens well. So yeah. that would be a truth possibly about you, right? Interesting. So what 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 truth would I like to be said about me? Yes, exactly. I think it's it's funny that you mentioned listening. I, I remember when I was about, I think I must have been 13 or 14, and I remember winning the Best Listener Award at school. Um, I don't know what Great. that means. I was only 13 or 14. <laughs> but yeah, I guess, I mean, obviously, you know, I do podcasting and I love quite evidently love conversations with uh with people um intellectual conversations conversations that you know revolve around traveling and culture and so on um so yeah listening is 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 a part of that but um yeah that's 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 quite an incredible uh a deep question (laughs) that i've not really Mm -hmm. given too much thought of but yeah it's uh exactly it's well we don't do we no it's it's not something we necessarily i suppose some sometimes not to get sinister but sometimes people think well you know if i was to basically die tomorrow what sort of legacy would i leave behind what what would people say about me um Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it is a theme yeah i'd like to be thought of as just a nice guy that that genuinely cares for people definitely that um, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to, to think and meditate about these things. Mm-hmm. And that's what the book does. And also, um, keyword meditate, there's a, or, or self-reflect. So when you're in Scott, say you're, you and I were down in Cusco or we're on the Inca trail and we're just hiking along. We're just seeing the way that which the, the trail has been made and it's been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. And you're just thinking about what it must have taken to carve those stones the way they did. Mm. And somebody like me might say, so that, that, that took, what did it take in your mind to have for someone to do that? And you might say, well, it took a lot of dedication. It took a lot of skill, uh, most likely a good community to support that person. As mm. I say, okay, so a skill community, um, and, determination will say and so how can you relate to this 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 craftsmanship or this uh this trail and you'll be like what do you mean how can i relate to this trail i'm, I'm hiking to to Machu picchu come on man <laughs> i got my own bag i'm not gonna hire a porter although they make you do that by the way <laughs> um you'd be like mike that's a crazy question i said well just how about this Nate? you just think about it for the next you know, for a ways until we eat lunch or to our next break, just think about it. 
meditate on. I wouldn't use the word meditate. I said, just think about how how do you relate? Mm. How's your life similar? Mm. Or what's the metaphor here regarding what you said about the trail um, in your life? And you'd be like, Mike, I don't understand the question. I go, it's okay. Just just think through it. And then you'll come to me, hopefully, and say you're either going to be one of those brain worms, like, Mike, I can't get this question out of my head. I said, okay, well, <laughs> are you somebody uh, – so what are some of the things in your life that, that, take, that has taken dedication, mm. uh, a community in which to do? Mm. And it's like, well, Mike, it's – well, my podcast. I said, okay. So – is that a legacy that you're proud of? And most people will say yes. Yeah. Well, how can you do, is there anything that you can do better or more of that's important to you? Right. Mm. Those kinds of, those kinds of questions, but usually people who I work with to part different parts of the world, whether it be Wadi Rum and Jordan or whatever have you, they have an intention. There's an intention of me being there. Right. Mm. Say Mike, um, I'm going from one transition to another, uh, leaving i'm leaving one chapter of my life i just had a woman do this with me um in fact i just uh, recorded it in fact it's um it's a pilot about it so remind me to tell you about my pilot for a tv show about what we're talking about right now um she was leaving her one chapter of her life having started her own company um mainly around neurotrauma etc and now she is, and she coaches to that neurotrauma, mainly with special forces athletes, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. And um, she's going into a position where she's going to be a high, um, an executive with another company that supports uh, neurotrauma, et cetera, et cetera. And she just wanted to make sure she's leaving that because I believe, much like I think we as travelers or tourists would leave, we always want to leave it better than we found it. So, how do you leave your chapter well of that life? And so that you can arrive well into the next chapter of your life. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Because you can't really transition to a new place if you're, if you're in a bad place, be it emotionally or whatever. I mean, you can, but you you can see that it never quite works out, you know? Um, Right. right. You even see in relationships. Exactly. I mean, think about when you're, when you were, we could all just sit around and talk about how our, the worst days of travel we've ever had. And the only reason it got better is because we put that worst day of travel in a different perspective. Like what am I supposed to be learning here or what can I do better next time? Mm. And once we just think that question, right. I mean, we're on a train from, you know, I'm on a train from Southern Italy going up to Rome and, uh, or Florence when we're, yeah, Florence, (laughs) And I'm sitting, you know, right by the bathroom. I'm standing right by the bathroom and having to hear and smell and all that, you know, after drinking bad wine and eating bread because I was poor. And it was a bad day. And then I said, well, what's one thing I can learn from this is that, hey, make better choices on what you're doing. <laughs> you know, don't <laughs> drink so much. Yeah. In, in, instead of bread, buy some cheese or something. No, and that's sure. a weak example. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Is this... You know, in terms of your slogan, I know one of them is uh, great leaders are born in the wild. So I feel like that's kind of what you're edging at towards there. I mean, what what in your mind, Mike, sort of is is defined as by, you know, the wild? Because, you know, it's quite great a broad question. definition. You're a good man. You're probably one of the few people who get that. What does that really mean? Well, the wild can be, you know, a place where you're uncertain uh, a place that is new to you or their stakes are high, right? Um, you could say the Bush of Alaska is wild, or you could say the Corm Gorm Crater in um, Uganda is the wild. But also, when I coach executives or I'm coaching um, high potentials or I'm just coaching a simple flight nurse, if you will, wherever they are is they're at their, um, their environment. However, when the stakes are high, it turns it can be considered a wild experience where if I make one wrong comment, then I might not make I might not make it to the third interview, right? And so the wild can be whatever you want it to be. Mm. It can be the it can be metaphorical and it can also be um, what you're currently in, meaning mm. the bush of Alaska. We walk out my my cabin here in about 35 feet will be 
in in the bush, right? We can go for months without seeing anybody or a road. Wow. We'll probably die, but Wow. And that's just thirty five feet outside of your you said you're in a cabin, by the way. Yeah, it was uh, yeah, the logs were cut in nineteen fifty seven. The law then the cabin itself was built in nineteen fifty eight. Wow. So that's where you live with your family, like literally in, in a cabin. Yeah, yeah. Um but in true disclosure, we did pop the top, meaning we we had the original ca- cabin as part of our home, but we added to it. We uh, put a top on it, uh, so it's got two two bathrooms, two bedrooms, uh, and wa- we have a well and we have septic. So yeah, amazing stuff. Just uh, totally off uh, off topic, but obviously we're speaking on the podcast. So how how is the internet connection coming to you? Is it via satellite or how's that working? No. It's- um, Alaska makes a lot of their state funds through tourism. So people want to go where they're connected. And we, I'm literally one of the last people, uh, last homes, um, um, on the good internet system, right? You go, you go down the road two miles and the internet's, uh, not good at all. It, you know, it's not even there. <laughs> right. So it's, it's good that you live where you do. Cause obviously with your coaching, obviously a lot of that is, yeah. is online as well. Right. So it's, uh, it's good that you've yeah. got a good internet mm-hmm. system in place. Yeah. It's, 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 it's paramount for, it was paramount for my decision. If I, if I was going to go to Nicaragua and live in San Juan del Sur, I got to have good internet so that I can communicate with my people. Absolutely. So in terms of the craziest or most challenging, you know, places that you've been, so, you know, you mentioned Alaska, that's obviously your base at the moment for your wife and your your two sons as well. But I also uh, read in some of your writings about the Serengeti and am I pronouncing this right? I should have researched this better. The the Gigi Desert. Am I saying that correct? (laughs) It's just, um, there's a misspelling Gobi Desert, which is in Mongolia. Gobi Desert. Right. Okay. Southern Mongolia. Yeah. Um, So what's the, so your question is, what's the most yeah, like in terms of the because obviously you've been to what sixty odd countries or whatever. So by the age of forty, I think you said by the time you got married at thirty nine. So like you mm-hmm. must have been to some wild places, quite literally, uh, physically speaking. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, where where which places do, do you feel like that you kind of went there as one person and then you left thinking that really challenged me, that challenged my reality, and it's it's mm-hmm. refined me as a person and made me an even better coach, for example. Right. Well, that's a loaded question. Um, my dedication to my boys in the book, I say the challenge, the most challenging landscapes, the most beautiful uh, landscapes are the landscapes within our own self. Right. Mm. Um, but physically speaking, um, probably the wildest, uh, when I say wild, I mean, um, uh, I would say the Western Mongolia, in the, by the Kazakhs, way far western go of Mongolia, where you're right by the China border, etc., Russian border. Mm. That was pretty wild um, for being way out there in the middle of nowhere, kind of thing. Um, there's always we, you and I and your listeners could say, well, you know, a, sometimes a bus a bus terminal like the one in the Coca Cola bus terminal in, in San Jose, Costa Rica is pretty wild, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of pockets or, um, but that's a, but one of the great, I mean, I put myself in a lot of situations where I can develop, whether it be running with the poles with a Pena, like doing it the real way, right? Not mm-hmm. just a drunken stupor. You're just trying to sober up. Right. <laughs> I ran with a Pena as we ran with the bulls, but, um, the positions that I've put myself into the world, I would say, you know, being what we call here in America, a lumberjack, but mm. in Scotland, they don't call themselves lumberjacks. They call them, you're a feller. You cut trees down or you're a chokerman. You choke, you choke trees and sky winch comes and takes it away. So, mm. um, I, maybe that's not a good answer, but I could tell you. Yeah. So those are wild, wild experiences that are not. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Interesting. And in terms of um, the trip that you feel that developed you the most in terms of your mindset as a leader, specifically as a leader in that, in that quality of leadership, is there one that stands out? um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was in Ecuador on the Trek to Condor and I was uh, um, guiding nine university students and 
trek to condors high in the Andes mountains and, and, uh, just getting through that mud, you know, and, and the mud and the rain and the, the dampness for, you know, we did it for four days and then hiked to the top of Cotopaxi or at least the Refugio. We didn't take a ride up there. Um, that really taught me, um, stick to uh, uh, for the, for the goal. Um, I would say interpersonally, um, my biggest trip that really made a difference to me was going through what we, at the time we'd call Serbia, right? And then when the Balkan War was taking place, I mean, we call it the Balkan War over here. Mm. Um, just seeing the the desperation of people trying to get out because we just took the train right through. But um, that was that was pretty powerful. But when it came to leadership, um, just watching, um, yeah, I would, I would say that, or or actually, I could say um, in Africa, watching the workers work together so hard to, to create a simple need of of water, you know, mm. drilling a well. So mm. that was pretty powerful. So that's that was really powerful to see everybody going towards the same goal and everybody contributing that was pretty amazing interesting and in your travels as well sort of like further to that point and mike like did you ever realize sort of like or or observe sorry a pattern of behavior you know whether you're in africa or you know the high north europe the baltics Mm -hmm. wherever you know in terms of people you gave the example of of there in africa you know people are are drilling for just to simply get a necessity of life which is water um Mm -hmm. did you notice you know patterns of behavior in terms of how people get together and work together as a team or did you see kind of like a constant sort of theme wherever you go in the world you know like humans are humans and and when they want Mm. to cooperate to do something they basically all do it in the same way or did you sort of think no 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 this tribe here do it in a really fascinating way Mm. um as you're asking the question i just kept thinking servant leader if you can you can always find this. You can always easily see the servant leader, the person who puts their needs in front of themselves, or excuse me, puts their needs um, off to the side and puts the needs of others in, um, in in front of them. Right, the person who's working hard to support somebody. Um, the servant leader is somebody who um, helps others to get what they need. Um, those people who were successful or well liked or um, happy, if you will, they were always servant leaders. I could always, that's a great question because that's a uh, servant leadership is the key to being um, well, well adjusted Mm. in all communities, whether it be, you know, down there in the Satipo river in the Amazoa of Peru, Mm. you know, the person who helped each other helped others was always um, well taken care of and well sought after. Mm, mm, that's nice. Yeah. So there is, there's definitely a, it, it doesn't serve people to basically just be selfish in the long term, does it? It's uh, un- unselfishness no. and cooperation can, can obviously go a long way. Uh, and, right. And if everyone acted like that, the, the world would obviously be a, a better place, wouldn't it? Right. You know, you bring up a good point about inquisitive um, traveler. Um, I remember distinctly, when I was in Western Mongolia at the Golden Eagle Festival, and there was it was back in the day, 2004, when it was really small, and I remember just seeing those Golden Eagle hunters that are they all come together from far, far wide to get together, and they're trying to have conversations with their old friends, et cetera, et cetera. And some people, photographers, would just get in their face with their big lenses and stuff, and they were they were they were just not being um, they were being rude, really. Mm. And um, I remember I had the foresight to come with a back in the day. You probably you're probably you sound really young, Nate. So you probably don't remember a Polaroid camera. You take a picture and it, you know, it's instant. It'll develop itself right then. And you can hand them the picture. Well, I brought a Polaroid camera with a bunch of um, film. And uh, I would wait for all the hubbub to be done with these Cossack Golden Eagle hunters. And I would walk up to them using hand signals, you know, being goofy, right? You're vulnerable. <laughs> when we are traveling, we are vulnerable. Oh, absolutely. We're all out yeah. of our comfort zone, yeah. right? That's part of the love of travel. Mm, part of the thrill. 
I would be um, goofy and hand signals, and I would say, I want to take your picture, um, stay there. And then I would I click the, the Polaroid, and then the camera, the film would come out, or the picture would come out, you know, and I'd take it. And then I would look at them, and I would say, I would wave it, and I would tell two minutes, and I would look at my watch, and I would tap my watch. And they were like wondering, who the heck is this guy? Mm. Well, then they saw a picture of themselves instantly within two minutes. And they they all, then I would have people following me around. And they called their, I mean, my um, friend said, who was a Kazakh, he goes, be very careful with this because they will bring their whole families together to get a picture. This is a really big deal, Mike. And that's how <laughs> I got such great pictures. Yeah, And that's how I got such great gifts. Um, I didn't take money. I just asked them to spend time with me. Mm. And um, to this day, I got a lot of great artifacts, if you will, of great friendship of being servant leader to take care of each other. Because if you give them something, because those big, those people with the photographers with the long scopes and stuff and, they were taking, 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 right? Mm. And uh, they were just being polite to let them be their pictures being taken. But I gave them something first. And mm. then I asked them with my other camera to take the good pictures. And my pictures turned out awesome, mm. you know? Nice, and, nice. Uh, so it was, what can we give when we travel? You know, so often we just think, oh, okay, we're going to go. And we're just going to travel and hang out and people watch. And you think to yourself, what is it that I can give to better this person's day if you will mm. or or what can i do to whether it be simply taking not being a rude american tourist right loud and obnoxious <laughs> and saying like, well you know it's not like this in my country <laughs> so whether it be being cognizant of um litter for example i've been mm. i've had more people offer me tea like the drink tea not like tea like in great britain like which is dinner right mm. or is that much mm. right so by just picking up trash, just noticing that there was trash somewhere and I would pick it up and I didn't do it or, but I just see it's there and I pick it up. That's a show of respect. Mm. And, and what can we do as travelers or tr tourists, if you will, what can we do to, to better somebody or show our great reverence for what we're looking at or yeah. experiencing? No, I really, really like that uh, sentiment there that you, you know, for, for, the, for all the listeners now to sort of just remember that point, you know, when next time I travel, what can I give to that community? You know, what can I give to the yeah. people? Because often people are just booking a trip thinking, basically, what can I get out of it? You know, of course that comes exactly. into it uh, to a degree. Of sure. course it does. But to think in that other, you know, uh, way where we can think, actually, what can I give? You know, is, is a completely different um, way of thinking and, and different approach that, that might lead to different results, you know, for, for the next trip yeah. that someone might do. Right now, when my boys and I travel, and my wife, we travel with um, magnets, little small refrigerator magnets, because everyone's got one, right? Mm. Refrigerator, in theory, right? Um, that are true Alaskan, right? There's like a grizzly bear, and then there's a Northern Lights inside the grizzly bear magnet, you know. Mm. And um, we hand those out. Just go and just randomly hand them out to people. We get one a day. Right. So the kids just don't hand them out. Right. And, and there's got to be a reason why you're handing it to the person. Maybe that person looks sad or or this person um, gave us great service or someone stopped and um, helped us in some form or fashion. So kind of like tokens of, of gratitude. Right. So yeah. and that opens up a totally different world um, for for your experience, not to mention what it's teaching the children. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we've spoken a lot about all these wonderful experiences that you've got and that you can still draw from, you know, from all of your, uh, your experiences traveling to these places um, in a positive way, you know, you've got all these sentiments and artifacts and so on, but Mike, have you got any on the flip side, have you got any experiences when traveling that actually did the opposite? Maybe they left you scared or, you know, maybe you came across some crazy animal or even people or tribes, you know, uh, to the point where basically you felt worried for your life. Like, am I even going to be alive tomorrow? And if, if you have been through something like that, how have you gained from those experiences? Because, you know, you're clearly alive today to, to tell us the tale. Right. Well, it was actually when I was, um, I was going from Bulgaria towards um, Greece on a train. It was during the war there. And um, they told you very specifically, do not get off the train. You're on the train. You got a thorough pass, exactly. You got to pass it, or your ticket tells you you're going somewhere else. And I remember we we're going through the, you know, Yugoslavia, which was at the time that was called Yugoslavia. Mm. So, um, 
And I made friends with the people in my little car there on the train. We're going and the train stops and they come through and they're looking at your passport, looking at your tickets. And then the guards who were thoroughly drunk um, told me to get off the train. I was like, I'm supposed to not get off the train. And of course they were drunk. And the people who were sitting with me were like completely white, like with, with fear. <laughs> so then I got scared. Well, then they... <laughs> They grabbed me and threw me off the train, literally, and my backpack was heavy, and they threw that off the train as well. And um, they were laughing about how heavy it is. They think I must be leaving with gold or something. So anyway, they were just had me off the, off the train, and they put me in a room. They put me inside the train station, and I'm thinking I'm going to miss the train. They put me in a room and uh, left me there. They had my bag, and then they came back, and the guy – uh, well, yeah, when I hit, I hit the guy with my backpack as I tr- picked it up off the, or I put, brought it down from the, from the cabbage or the, the, um, the luggage area. Mm. And, uh, he got real pissed and he was pushing me off and he tried to push me off the train. And so I fall and hit my face or something. Anyway, so some little short guy comes in and he goes, they are very angry at you. I, go, I didn't do anything. He goes, you must get back on the train. I go, yeah, I know. Well, they all came and grabbed me and they were all pushing me along back to the train. And then just before the train, they were kind of teasing me and they pushed me in a circle. They just kept pushing me around, pushing me around, pushing me around. And the, and I remember looking up at the train and the people I was sitting with, their faces were up against the window in complete horror. Mm. And that's what I got scared. And I thought to myself, well, I'm not going to take this laying down. So I just stood my ground. I'm kind of bigger guy six foot 220 pounds back in those days i was far more muscular than i am now although i'm very fit um i just said okay you guys want some let's go you know and then they all stopped and then they all was quiet and they started laughing and then they just the guy came and grabbed me and says you get on that train <laughs> okay <laughs> so i was really really scared because they were that was during the time that they were taking um united states um citizens and they were taking mm-hmm. the um the uh the blue helmet guys they were taking those guys hostage at the time it only happened for about two weeks so wow that was probably the scariest i've ever been yeah what a what a story so i mean do you want your obviously your sons are still quite young but talking of your sons do you want for them what you had yourself like i.e when they get to a certain age would you like them also to become world travelers and go to all these places to you know to develop themselves after being obviously in Alaska. Yeah I, I, mm, yeah, I believe so. Um, well, they've already been to Norway. They've been to Saudi. They've been to Jordan. They've been mm. uh, different places. We're going to go to Colombia for Christmas. Oh, lovely. We've got a wedding. We're, we've been invited to a wedding um, in Cartagena, Colombia. Oh, so Cartagena, yeah. Beautiful place. We'd love to. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to do Santa Marta for Christmas. Mm. And, and uh so, so is that off, that's off near Barranquilla, no? I think Santa Marta. I believe so. I've, yeah, I haven't been to Colombia. Will be my sixty fourth country, or maybe okay. sixty five. I have to think through. Yeah, but I do to answer your question. Yes, absolutely. But you know, I would love to hear a podcast that you have. If I may just be so blunt, is like to have two people on there, like me or someone who's older. I'm fifty years old. That when when we traveled, all we had was the Lonely Planet, and then eventually mm. I got rid of that. We only had the Lonely Planet for train schedules and where to drink. That would be <laughs> amazing, cheaply, right? That would now, be amazing. Now you're so connected. I would really like to talk about that. It'd be really interesting to explore our was my travel experiences far. I'm not saying better. It was just far more X than today's, where we're so connected. Mm. You know, mm. you know. No, that's what a great idea. It, yeah, the only like these workaway programs that they have, right? You you know, are you familiar with workaways? Well, I I haven't I haven't heard of that, but yeah. uh, I I'm I can guess what they are. But uh... yeah, so so someone comes to your your area, they're 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 usually travelers. They come. The deal is they'll work for you. You just got to put them up, and you got to feed them at least once a day, right? You got to give them okay. shelter, give them a food, and it's free, right? So. My Norwegian friend up there in uh, Fairbanks, she has three of them right now mm. there to take care of her dogs because she does expeditions and such. But <clears throat> I didn't have that when I was traveling. The only time, the only thing that's similar to that was the kibbutz, right, in mm. Israel. So all the work away things I did was just by out of necessity, I would go find a job to be able to, you know, eat for the day or whatever have you. Yeah. 
So it's a great uh, idea, though. Is, this this work away yeah, thing. I love yeah. the sound of that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah. Pe- people can essentially go anywhere in the world that they want. Just find a host and say, you know, I work for you, and and they've got their mm-hmm. necessities met. Wow, that's really awesome. Right, right. Like if I if I was thinking about. I'm, I'm developing my property now so I can host a work away. Somebody wants to come and do manual labor, you know, I'm not going to give them a chainsaw or nothing, but I'll give them, you know, my kids right out there right now digging a ditch because we're moving power from, um, from our house to the, to a cache for uh, a cache is like a little small um, cabin that is on stilts, right? Mm. You cache your meat from the bears and the squirrels and stuff. So, about 14 feet up is a cabin on, on on stills. My son's digging a trench out to it right now. So a work away could do that. Wow. <laughs> your, 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 your boys are being developed in ways that in, in the Western world is almost unheard of. You know, it's, it's, it's quite incredible to, to behold that picture. <laughs> yeah, That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. I love it. And it's raining out right now. So no, that's, probably- <laughs> that's good. It hardens them up. That's, that's, that's fantastic. Maybe when they're older, right. they'll listen. They'll re-listen to this podcast, and they'll uh, they'll remember what they mm-hmm. were doing when when you were recording this. But uh, maybe then, right. you know, someone is listening to this, uh, Mike, and they they're desperate to try a trip for personal development. So what what do they do? What what do you suggest? Should they go somewhere solo? You know, should, a work away, for example. I mean, give us some ideas of of where they could go. Great question. I would encourage um, them just to start out small. Do small incremental um, trips where they can get develop their skills, and um, then just make it bigger and bigger. Uh, that's that, that's what I suggest. But are you asking how do they get a hold of me? I'm kind of lost. Yeah. So I mean, we'll we'll come on to that. I, I, I guess what I was getting at is in terms of if they really really want to. Um, you know, they've been inspired by by this podcast episode, and they're really thinking that they want to put themselves out of their comfort zone, for example. I was just thinking if you could, I don't know, are there any countries or cities or places in particular that you think, yeah, this, this is a good place to go and they could even go alone. You know, they could, it could mm-hmm. be a backpacking trip, uh, you know, a hiking yeah. trip. Is there anything in particular in that sense? Um, I would encourage them to, like the Inca trail is really um, safe and comfortable because it's Peruvian government makes you hire a guide and a porter, right? Because they mm. want to, you know, they want everybody to have a job. Mm. That's safe. Um, that's a good way to do it. Um, a lot of these English-speaking tour companies uh, are always looking for good um, workers, mm. right? You could do that. Go there, and, and if you're interested in deserts, then research a um, an establishment mm. that is in the Wadi Rum of Jordan and have your relationship developed prior to your arrival and say, I'd like to come help you for two weeks. Can we agree on a you know wage, et cetera? And then and in turn, you show me around and show me how to show me the beautiful parts. And from that, if you're a hard worker and emotionally intelligent, you can find work anywhere. You'll, you'll yeah. have too many opportunities. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. No, that's good for people to hear. Cause I think it stops a lot of people. They think, Oh, you know, how can I support myself? But as you say, once you, you've got enough uh, emotional sort of intelligence um, and experience, you can, you know, you, you'd almost be sport for choice. So that's um, yep. no, that's so true. Now, Mike, you offer courses in leadership, obviously, as we've been discuss- discussing. So mm-hmm. how are they structured um, and, and where are they offered? Is it all done remotely or well, I mean, how, how does it work? Well, I work with people uh, via Zoom or face-to-face or, as I call it, adventure coaching, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of my American CEOs like like for, to come to Alaska, right? Uh, so that's pretty simple. Um, some of my clients, global clients say, well, me, I've always wanted to do Jordan. Let's meet in Jordan and you can we can tour around um, Jordan. We can go to the Dead Sea. We can go see where um, John the Baptist was. We can go to Wadi Rum. We can go to Petra, et cetera. Hmm. Um, but I work, in, when it comes to leadership, people hire me both face-to-face and the courses that I do, whether it be a, um, a keynote address or whether it be a half-day course or a full-day course, is all about finding your leadership truth, right? Um, we work through that in that sense. And then 
And then when people come, no matter where they do for adventure coaching, as I said earlier, it's the intention. What intention do they have? Why are they doing this? Mm. Right. It's mm. going to be simply, do I, like I had a gentleman a couple of years ago. He says, I just need to figure out if I want to stay married or not. So, wow. Okay. Well, wow. I can support you on that. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not the wise one here. I just ask the good questions, right? I, mm. um, so, I mean, so, would you say it's almost a form of therapy somehow? Or, I mean, how, how do you compare it to that? Because it, it seems to me that it's almost kind of like a blurred line, or am I completely incorrect in, in assuming that? No, so that's another conversation for another time. But coaching is, um, I, I was supposed to say, my definition of therapy is where you talk about how did you get to that position you're currently in? Like, mm. well, you know, my mom, she never she never told me she loved me and my mm. dad was never home. Mm. And then you have to work through those issues. Mm. In my opinion, coaching is where, okay, so what is it that you want to do? Mm. Mm. and Or what is it you want to change? Mm. I don't necessarily need to know your backstory. You know, I... I want to, I got to change my behavior because my, my marriage is on the rocks. Mm. Okay. I, I just need to know what do you want to, instead of that? And that's coaching. And so, so how might you get that? That's a coaching question or, right. I don't need to know the backstory of why you're promiscuous. I don't mm. need to know because your mother never gave you love or something. I said, oh, okay, well, mm. <laughs> I don't know. So. Oh, that's really interesting. So, I mean, you gave the example of someone who wanted to basically work out something about his marriage. I mean, have, have you got any other examples of why people have come recently for coaching? Is it oh, something, yeah, you know, sure. to do with financial goals or projects mm -hmm. or I want to, you know, change how my body looks or I mean, what 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 is mm -hmm. there a pattern? What does it tend to be? Well, I can say, i give you an example of the woman that I just worked with here in Alaska. The client right after her was here because he um, starting a new company, he wants to get, uh, he wants to understand what truly is important for his company. What is his mission going to be? That kind of stuff. Mm. The mission and how are they going to get to that? What goals are realistic goals for this time frame? Um, people come to me to, uh, people have me coach them because I'll give you an example. They don't like their life. Mm. They're in debt. Mm. They don't like their job. They don't have a girlfriend. And they work too much. That was a client that I had five years ago, and he's still a client. Well, why is he still a client, Mike? Well, because he's doing so well. He has so many unbelievable opportunities come his way. He needs to work through work through it with somebody, right? Mm. So that's an example. I have um, I have companies that come to me and say, "Hey, I want you to work with your our, our high performers that are going to be destined for great things." Mm. Or somebody sometimes they call me and say, "You know what this." We're going to give this guy one more chance and we're going to use a coach. And if he doesn't change, he's out. Kind of thing. <laughs> awesome. And I assume then that it must be really fulfilling for you because as the time goes on, you must become friends with, uh, with many of your clients. Yeah. I've officiated two weddings of my clients wow. so far. Uh, that's how, and then no, all of them are friends. I consider friends, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's amazing. True. Amazing. So, Mike, I mean, where, where can people find you and your work? I uh, keep it simple, right? Uh, MikeGreenLeadership.com. MikeGreenLeadership.com. Mike -E Fantastic. Of yep, course, I'll, I'll oh. leave that all in the show notes as well. And that's, of course, where people want to find your book. Can they find that in all the major places as well? Yeah, Amazon, yeah, Wander Must. Wander um, Must. Yeah. And uh, there's a – right now we just um, – Maybe in the show notes, I could send you the link to the uh, my um, adventure coaching pilot that we just made. Um, it was it was quickly made uh, because there's been some because of the book. Some Hollywood people want to see if they can make it into a reality TV show, which I think is kind wow. of funny. But that's uh, amazing. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. The book is really good. You know. Yeah. No. So please do. Please send the 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 link and. Um... Yeah, I'll uh, definitely, definitely leave that in in the show notes that the uh, the listeners can find it and and, and obviously right. follow that there. Fantastic, right? Well, because of confidentiality, we couldn't record the co coaching conversation, so we just we were asked to make a very quick pilot, um, and it's it's all it's explained. So don't expect to see some deep conversations with a bunch of tears and stuff. No, it's just a basically what does it look like, sound like, and who I am kind of thing yeah yeah no it sounds sounds fantastic well mike thanks again uh for coming 
uh, to us all the way from Alaska. Definitely <laughs> the most remote guest that uh, I've interviewed so far. So yeah, thank you for mm-hmm. your, for your time and amazing, really, really fascinating guy. I must say, you know, so many. Uh, this conversation took a <laughs> took a personality all of its own. Absolutely awesome right. uh, conversation. Really enjoyed our chat together, and I wish right. you and your work and your book every success. Well, thank you. Is there anything I can do for you? I'll have to have a a big big think about that because it's uh, I, I well one thing I'm going to do is is read your book. Um, that's uh, I, I need to read that in its entirety because uh, you've definitely whetted my appetite and and I'm sure you've done the same for right. for many of uh, of the listeners as well. Right. Well, thank you. Um, you're, you're considered a friend now. If you ever come to Alaska, please reach out to me. I'll support you in any way possible. Uh, we have an extra car that we let people borrow just because I've been well taken care of as I traveled. So. Um, you or even your listeners, they, they, they want to reach out, be happy to support anybody's experience here in Alaska. That's absolutely amazing. Thanks again, Mike. Be well. Thank you. My guest today was Mike Green from Mike Green Leadership. If you've always wanted to improve your leadership skills or just wanted general coaching in your life to better your personal development, please do check out Mike's website, which I'm going to leave in the show description along with that link that he was talking about as well. Well, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please do share it with a family member or friend who you think would get something out of it. And if you haven't done so already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And don't forget to follow and hit the bell notification as well if you haven't done so already. My name is Nate Ralph, and you've been listening to The Inquisitive Tourist.